0: Good morning. This was prepared for Steve. Uh, Well, um, as I always say, uh, if you are going to be preaching the Sunday sermon, make sure your plane is ready to go to make it back to church in time. I always say that, and Steve did not listen to me. So, Uh, Uh, I get to... It's fortuitous though, I think, that um, Steve was not able to make it this morning because a few weeks ago I got up here and I gave um, about half of a sermon and just got about halfway through and time was kind of up and uh, I kind of just left it off there and I had so many people that kept coming up to me and be like, Josh, when are you going to tell us the rest of that sermon? We really want to hear it. And I was like, okay, fine, geez, I'll try to make it happen. And so here I am. that didn't happen. For those of you who don't know me, my joking knows that didn't happen. Um, but we are going to just uh, look at the rest of Leviticus 19 uh, for a few minutes this morning. So if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and flip open to that place. <clears throat> we'll be picking up in, um, in verse 17. <clears throat> It says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Um, these are, uh, you know, whenever you hear the words, love your neighbor as yourself, this is, if you've been in church any amount of time, or I think even people who have not been in church much, uh, we hear these words, And we attribute them to Jesus. Jesus is so smart. Jesus uh, came up um, with this. Jesus was uh, a genius. They asked him the greatest commandment. And he said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he quoted that from the Old Testament. But then he came up with this awesome thing. uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule. Um, But what you'll find out whenever you read this verse right here in Leviticus is that Jesus didn't actually make that up. Uh, again, just like with the first greatest commandment, Jesus is simply quoting the Old Testament. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself came from Leviticus. Um, Whenever I was in high school, um, we spent an entire year on the Sermon on the Mount and learning the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And so each week we would pick apart just a little bit of it. And something that was a common theme that came up over and over and over again whenever we were talking about um, the Sermon on the Mount, was, you know, in a lot of places, Jesus says, um, you know, you have heard it said in the law, uh, you shall not murder, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother commits murder in his heart, and so uh, we kind of picked up on that theme, and we said, you know, the law was all about the external, do not murder, but Jesus is all about the heart, and Jesus is coming and he's making it totally new and he's going deeper and he's, he's showing us that God really cares about the heart because he says, don't, don't murder, but Jesus says, don't be angry. Well, you're going to notice right here that God is already caring about the heart. Even back in Leviticus, he says, this is not something, this right here is a command that cannot be. Um, It can't be externally observed. It can't be something that you can go up to somebody and uh, punish them for and have evidence of them doing it. It says, do not hate your brother in your heart. Already, we see that God is concerned about what's going on inside of you and not just what you're doing on the outside. God says, do not hate your brother in your heart. And just like it, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the golden rule. Um. If I pause a lot, uh, it's because I didn't have a sermon prepared, and so just whenever I do say something good, I just need a lot of amens today and uh, encouragement and stuff like that for my self-esteem. So, Um, I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna uh, just have a little bit of a confession here. Um. I wish that I had more to say about this. And I think that if I spent a little bit more time and um, if I had a little bit more time to prepare and stuff like that, surely I could come up with something or find a story from other, some, other, some, Christ, some other Christian hero, as if I'm one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, from some Christian hero that did something really cool. Um, and love their neighbor really well um, and um, I just wish that I had more to say about this and I wish that there were more depths uh, within me and within my own experience of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself um. <laughs> thanks Mario wait I don't know how to take that uh, <laughs> um uh, I'll, I'll just suffice it to say that um, the Lord has been growing me a lot in a lot of ways um, that I didn't know I needed a lot of, in a lot of areas of grace and a lot of areas of faith uh, in the past few years, um, and I think that I'm starting to realize that uh, I need to be grown here in this area of love and uh, loving your neighbor, and um, I don't know if you struggle with this either, but may God give us more grace to love our neighbors um, as ourselves. Y'all want to talk about some weird stuff? I know Seth does, so I'll just talk to Seth about it. Uh, Y'all can sit in on me and Seth's conversation right here about some of this weird stuff. Um, If you go on with me to um, verse 19, it says, You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. You shall not wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. Uh, I don't know much about clothes, but I think I would be guilty of this. Comm- I don't know what this is. But it's comfortable, and so I know it's probably not uh, not cotton or wool um, or something like that. Um, this is a weird command. Um, when you look at it, you what is with this? Um, uh, this is usually like the first thing that uh, people go to. Um, you know, Luke talked about homosexuality last week, and um, this is like usually the first thing people go to if you say, hey, the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong. This is usually just that hot topic thing. And people will say, oh, well, uh, do you wear polyester? Um, you know, uh, have you ever worn clothes like that or something like that? And just kind of use that as something to say, well, you just, you can't, you just, we don't keep any of it, so if you're not going to keep that, then don't, you know, we don't have to listen to the parts about homosexuality and stuff like that. Um, and so this is just weird, and this is just uh, a little different, but um, I, I read a few things that might be helpful um, in understanding this that, that are kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how much, I, I think all of us have been exposed at least a little bit to um, other religions, and, and you see at least some of the, some of the pictures and stuff like that. Uh, there's this idea of, of mixing when it comes to... Um, to ancient Near Eastern um, theology. And if you go back and you look, uh, if you go and look into some of these ancient Near Eastern religions that were around Israel at the time, all of their, you know, all of their gods had images. Yahweh was, was uh, unique, and he said, don't make me an image. Uh, don't make anything that, lo- that you think looks like me. Uh, you can't capture it. I already have an image, and it's you. <laughs> um, and so, but everybody had these images of their gods, and if you go and look at them, almost always... Uh, something you'll notice about them is they are some kind of mixture of some kind of created being. If you go back and you think, look at the, the statues of the Sphinxes in Egypt. Uh, this is an animal that's kind of a hybrid between a, a cat and a, a human. Uh, and then you go and look at all the other Egyptian gods. You have a human body and then like a bird head um, And then, but it's not, but the weird thing is, it's not just near eastern religions, this is actually everywhere. Um, If you go and look in eastern religions, like Hinduism, uh, you'll see that they just have hundreds of gods, and almost all of them are like this, where you have uh, the human body, and like a woman's body, and then like an elephant head. And so, there's this weird thing where um, the mixing of animals uh, may have had something to do with people's Attempt, to, and we'll talk about um, divination and sorcery here in just a second. But an attempt to kind of um, to control things and try to make themselves like God. Uh, and if you go and you look at, at crops and things like that, um, the ancient Near Eastern people also believed that, um, in, it was almost like a fertility practice where, like, if you bring two kind of different crops together, there's it's in some way going to Uh, make the gods bring you uh, a greater harvest, bring rain, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so there's this idea, and and so this really all could have been about uh, God said that he was going to bless his people. And he said that If you follow my ways, if you keep my laws, and you worship me, and you don't have any gods before me, I'm going to bless you, and we're going to talk about this, I think, in two weeks. But God's going to bless them, and they are going—he's going to do those things. He's going to bring rain. He's going to uh, make their harvests very great. He's going to make their enemies flee before them. And so it may—we know that mixing your crops or mixing two different kinds of animals is not going to make it rain more, right? Right? But God may have been telling them to do this. Don't do this. Don't try to do this. Even if you're not trying to do it, maybe if that's not what you're trying to do and doing it, don't do that because I don't want people to misattribute your blessing. I don't want people to think that you are blessed by the ways that they think they're going to be blessed. I don't want people to think that you guys figured out a way to be a really blessed people. I want people to look at you and go, they're not doing anything special. All they're doing... Is worshiping Yahweh and keeping His commands, and that was supposed to be what was going to draw people to Yahweh. Um, And just just about the the clothes and and such, there there was this weird thing where they weren't supposed to mix their clothes or anything like that. But there was one person who was supposed to mix have uh, mixtures in their clothes, um, and that was the priest. The priests, if you go back and look, they laid it out, all the, all the details of the clothes and the, um, everything the priest was supposed to do. They were supposed to mix their clothes. And so there's this weird idea for them that um, these mixtures was something that's supposed to be left up to the divine. There was something that was supposed to be left to the gods and supposed to be left to the heavenly realm, the mixing of things. And, you know, God created, in Genesis it says, he created all the animals and all the plants according to their kind. So there's just maybe even something about uh, staying in our lane um, and not trying to take over and not trying to be God. Um, So if you have a labradoodle, you should probably get rid of it. Uh, That's all all I'm saying is demonic witchcraft stuff. Uh. Told you we have some weird stuff. if you go to uh, verse 26, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. It says, you shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. I think we've talked about this quite a bit um, already. Then it says, you shall not interpret interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am Yahweh. Rocky's not here today. This is unfortunate. Uh, this part was, was pretty much just going to come over and have a sidebar with him and Kayla, uh, but <clears throat> get to the tattoos in a second. Um, here's uh, one of my favorite lines from Seth uh, that Seth <laughs> says a lot of times. Um, Steve's here. <laughs> hey, welcome, Steve. <clears throat> it's too late. You can't have your sermon back. I'm I'm killing it up here. Everybody, the crowd's eating it up. Uh, um, <clears throat> here's something that uh, Seth likes to say, and I think it's, it's good. Um, God doesn't tell us to do things that we can't do. God doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, uh, hey, make sure you don't go try to jump off a cliff and fly uh, to the other side of the ocean, Okay because we can't do that. But he does say, don't interpret omens and seek fortunes. Don't try to tell the future. Um, in the next verse, a couple, down, in a couple verses down, it's going to say, uh, don't practice sorcery or necromancy, which means don't try, to talk, don't try to talk to the dead. And it says, don't try to uh, manipulate spiritual things through sorcery and witchcraft. And the point is, he wouldn't say don't do it if it's not possible for us to do it. We just passed Halloween a couple weeks ago. Um, There are spiritual realities that are at work in our world. God is working in light and love and in goodness with his angels, with his Holy Spirit, with his saints. And the devil is working. With demons, with witches, with darkness, with evil. And this stuff is very real, and it's not to be messed around with. Um, It's a crazy thing. The devil brings people in, and he offers, he always offers something. Um, Hey, you can can control outcomes. You can bring curses on people. You can have power. Um, But what it does is it just... uh, And he does give you those things if you really seek them out, which is scary and disturbing to think about. Um, But he takes so much more from you than he would ever give. Um, Olivia is a very cool person. (laughs) Uh, uh, She just had one of these moments where, just very awesome. She's one of those Christian heroes that I was talking about a second ago. Uh, there was a girl who came uh, up to, um, at, or I think she went to their house, but anyway, there was, she met this girl, and this girl had come up to her, and she said, hey, I, I want to, this is very creepy, she said, I want to I wanna come to church so that um, I can talk to Lucifer, so I can talk to the devil. Um, and Olivia just looked at her, I think a lot of us when we, I think a lot of us have encountered people, maybe not a lot of us, but sometimes you'll encounter people who are like this, and you're just like, you're weird, um, and you just leave them alone. But Olivia looked at her, and she said, if you did that, that would be the worst possible thing that you could ever do. Because Olivia believes that this stuff is real. She believes that if you want to talk to the demonic, if you want to talk to the devil, you can But if you do, it could cost you your life. So if any of you guys were thinking about doing anything like that, just don't um, talk to Jesus. (laughs) Uh, and uh, and, And here's something that's really important about this, I think, is that anything the devil does is just a twisting of the real thing that God does. And... You know, when when Moses uh, threw down his staff, it became a serpent. Well, what did did, uh, Pharaoh's court do? His magicians, they they did the same thing. They threw down their staff, and then it became a snake. So the devil loves to copy the things that the Lord does, um, and he can do them very well sometimes. And um, a lot of this um, sorcery and divination and trying to tell the future is actually... Really, not that different from the things that God actually does with His prophets and with His with, with His holy people in the Old Testament. And I think the sad thing is, is we can kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. We see that the devil can do these things, and we see that um, people are telling the future uh, through the devil, and people are even doing signs and wonders at times. You hear about miracles that people can't explain, um, but they're bad, um, and it's leading people away from God. And so people say you know what, like the miracles and stuff like that, and the trying to hear God's voice and all that stuff, like you don't know what you're going to get. It might be something evil. You know, these people over here are doing something evil. And we just say, like, we're just not going to do that. We're going to stick to reading our Bible, uh, and then we're just, we're just not going to go into any of that realm. Um, seeing the wrong thing is not a good excuse for getting rid of the real thing. See, there's this, there's this difference in the Bible um, between, what here and here's really the difference, is what you have here is divination versus revelation. Divination is the, pre- and this is what they would do, is they would like cut open a goose or something like that, and they would open it up, and they would poke through its entrails, and they would say, alright, God, like, if it's got spots on its liver, then we're gonna go to war with our enemy, and if we, if it doesn't, then uh, we're not gonna go to war with our enemy. they cut it open, they say, okay, it's got spots, we're gonna go to war. And so, it's this idea of you're trying to, you're trying to uh, come up with um, revelations from the gods. You're trying to know things from the heavens, but you're not waiting to receive those things from, God, from the gods. You're taking it. By your own initiative, you're sitting down and you're saying, we're going to determine, we're going to take it, we're going to figure it out. And divination is always taking from God. Whereas the difference with that is revelation is always an act of receiving from God. We're not the initiators. We're not the ones in control. We're not the ones telling God what to do. We are like the prophet Samuel. We come to God and we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he says what he wants to say, and we receive it, whether we like it or we don't like it. Or he doesn't say what he doesn't want to say, and we're okay with that. And then we say, I trust you. There's a lot more that we could probably say on that um, another day, but I um, thought it was good to mention. Um, I really like this. I got uh, two minutes left, so I think we can probably squeeze one more of these in here. Um, or two verse 32 says you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God I am Yahweh um, <clears throat> I'm gonna resist the temptation to make fun of an old person uh, in here somewhere but uh, mainly just because Terry's not here this morning uh, Um, we are called to honor the elders, honor the uh, that has a different connotation here at the church, Uh, the elderly people who are older than us Um, and I think that I don't have to get up here and tell you that that has been lost on our culture, (laughs) I think we're pretty aware of that Um, but I think the sad thing and we can only do so much about what's going on in the culture, right, but I think the sad thing is it's made its way into the church. Uh, and, I think the, and I think I've talked about this before, so humor me again if, if this sounds familiar. But there is this movement in the church of, you know, our churches, we want to have big churches. We want to have a lot of people in our churches, and we want a lot of people to hear the gospel and be saved, so that's good. But my problem is with the way that a lot of us go about getting there. And the way to go about getting there for most people, and you'll hear, I have friends who talk like this who are in ministry, and they say, we've got to get the young families in here. The future of the church is the young families. The young families are going to come, and they're going to bring the kids, and you know, all the old people are dying off, and so we need to get in the young people, and that's true. Like, if you don't get more people into your church, like younger people, like just the law of time, like, (laughs) like if you only have old people, where it's all going to die off, and there's going to be nobody left, and that is happening in a lot of churches. But if you make that your goal, and you say the way that we grow the church is by getting the young families and getting the kids in here, uh, you're missing how the church grows. You're missing how it's, it was done in the book of Acts. They never said, we've got to get the young families in here. No, they prayed, and they fasted, and they worshiped, and they sought the Lord, and they listened to the apostles teaching, and they sat in the communion, they broke bread together, all those things. That's the way. But what's sad is whenever we think that the young families are what's going to grow our church, we're already in a bad place thinking that that's how you grow a church. And just all sorts of bad things come. Whenever you got the wrong premise, you're going to have bad results. And a lot of times when we think that—I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, Whenever you think that the young families are going to grow your church, sadly, a lot of times what that means is we're going to stop listening to the old people. And we're going to stop thinking about what the old people have to say. Sadly, the church strategy a lot of times is, and people sit down and they say this in meetings at churches. I've been in meetings. And they'll say, well, um, we're going to lose, maybe, gonna, maybe we're going to lose some old people, but we're going to get the young people. And that is tragic. We need the old people. I don't want to put it in comparison, but... Uh, never says, honor the young people. Surely we were supposed to, but we're supposed to honor the old people in a way that's beyond what we honor the young people. And this is just something to keep in mind, and obviously this goes towards like being respectful, obviously, but I think it has some application in the way that we make decisions about church. And um, I just want to say something about Uh, our leadership, I'm just saying a lot of things about a lot of people today, so I hope I don't get in trouble, but uh, I just want to say that um, one of the reasons that me and Maritz have been so happy to be at this church, and uh, the reason that we've been here uh, going on eight years now, is because of the elders at this church who don't throw away any person in pursuit of growing the church, or in pursuit of. trying to make the church more pretty or more uh, attractive to anybody. Um, They care about every single person in this room, Um, even the old people. Maybe maybe even especially the old people. Maybe because they are old, I don't know. Uh. Okay, for real now, I just want to say one more thing. Um, Verse 33 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land... You shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as, a nati- as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. And um, strangers is, I think, kind of maybe not the best translation. Other, most translations say foreigner. Um, you shall love the foreigner as yourself. When the foreigner is with you, you shall treat him as yourself. Um, I think, obviously, um, this can get political (laughs) real fast. Um, And I'm not going to mention anything uh, politically, or I know that there are differences in where people stand, even in this room, about uh, immigration and things like that. And so I'm not about to stand up here and recommend politicians or policy or anything like that. But I will say that we are called to love the foreigner. No matter what side of the aisle you're on. Not thinking about just um, a group of people or thinking about our economy or thinking about um, any mass of faceless people. You are called to love the person in front of you who is a foreigner. Whatever, and, and, and I will say this, though. Um, whenever we sit down and have a conversation about these things, because do, we do need to have conversations about these things, and you can't avoid it, uh, it sh- a Christian should always sit down, and the very first thing before you say anything is, we're called to love the foreigner as yourself. And if your thoughts and the words about foreigners and the words about these people and maybe even your decisions about what should be done with them does not line up anything with what you just said with you shall love the foreigner as yourself, there may be a problem. Um, And like I said, I mean, policy aside, we're called to love the foreigner who is in front of us, this person who is in front of us, who is a stranger in our land, okay? And I think there are some very simple ways to do that. One, we... Some of us may need to change. Our, some of us, when you see, I know that this, this happens. Some of us, we've, we're so wrapped up in what, we th- in what we think about the issues that it's impossible to separate it from the way that we see the person standing in front of us. It, it just is. And so we can stand before a person and not have love for them. And this is a problem. We are called to be kind to these people. We're called to love them. We're called to help them. The person who's in front of us. Uh, And just real practically, I sat down with Maritza. I don't know if y'all know, but my wife Maritza is Hispanic. Uh, She's not just really tan. Um, uh, Thank God. She has given color to my offspring, and it's wonderful. Um, Not height, but uh, that's okay. Um, And so I sat down. We were having dinner, and I asked her, like, you know, how, like... um, I don't want to stand up here and be like the white person that gets up and tells everybody how to love, <laughs> how brown people should be loved. Uh, and so, I asked her. I said, uh, "You know, Mirta, your dad was an illegal immigrant. Um, and he's got a citizenship now and, and all that." But I said, "You know, how can you love um, a a person who's a, who's a foreigner?" And um, she said, "One of the ways is, um, you know, he goes to the hospital and a lot and." you know, people, he shows up, and he doesn't speak English, and a lot of times, like, he kind of just gets blown off a little bit. Uh, He went to several hospitals. He had a problem with his toe. His toe was hurting really bad, Um, and uh, he went to several hospitals, and, you know, he didn't speak English very well, and so they kind of just took a look at him. and said, oh, you're okay, Um, and finally, he went to a hospital here in Irving, uh, and um, he got a doctor. uh, They finally got him a doctor who, like, spoke Spanish, and they looked at him, and they're like, your foot is, like, your toe is about to fall off, and you have, uh, he's diabetic, and so it was spreading, you know, it was about to spread, and, you know, if they hadn't caught it, you know, it could have gone, he could have lost a leg, and so he ended up getting amputated and all that stuff, but she said that she was with him in a lot of, uh, or uh, she had heard about a lot of those doctor's appointments, and he told about it afterwards, and he said, man, I just felt so, uh, felt like nobody was listening to me, and, you know, finally, you know, I got to this last one, and I just felt heard, and I felt seen, I felt relief, and they actually were able to take care of me. Um, there's something special about if you have a people here who speaks a different language and they all speak pretty much the same language there's something special about someone speaking your language there, uh, one thing I love is uh, Kayla told us about how Bruce's family does this abomination and they call Pollo Regio Regios <laughs> uh, And so uh, Bruce and and Tanya have brought Kayla into their house, and uh, he's having to be confronted with these things, as he should. Um, And Bruce, um, as an act of love, downloaded Duolingo. (laughs) And he said, you know what, like, I want to speak her language because I love her. I'm not sitting down here and saying that everybody needs to learn Spanish, but Bruce is making a move towards... Most, most almost 70-year-old men don't go and learn a new language, okay? But in a move in love towards Kayla, he's wanting to learn the language so that he can connect with her. Um, we need to be making moves towards the foreigner. It's so much easier to say, oh, well, you know, we, sp- we speak English. This is America, so we speak English here. Um, that's fine. That's true. But is that Love? Is that loving your neighbor as yourself? Called the love. What's interesting is Jesus says, er, uh, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, okay, we do a shoe swap here. I got to imagine what it feels like to be in another person's shoes. How would I want to be loved? And what's crazy is he goes and he says the same exact thing about the foreigner, he says. He doesn't just say, also love the foreigner. He says, love the foreigner as yourself. Have you ever done a shoe swap with the foreigner? I thought, man, what would that be like? What would that be like to come from a war-torn country where you fear for your life every day because of the violence around you? And you come here to a place where nobody speaks the language the lost it was time to do a shoe swap with them and feel what it would feel like what would it be like how would you want to be loved that's all I got Um, thank you thank you that's what I was looking Yeah. okay good um, may the Lord give us grace um, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our enemies as ourselves, to love the old people as ourselves, to love the foreigner as ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen.